Um, and I thought to myself, how could I possibly kill a lot of birds with one stone? How do I start building a client base? And how do I start actually also getting my tarot chops under? my you know under my belt I've been reading tarot since I was 15 I was reading at a new age shop at 18 I was precocious pre goth goth kid in some ways um, but when I decided to go full-time of course I was a little rusty because I hadn't been doing it as much as I do it now so fairs um, fairs hit a couple of really important functions number one it got my tarot chops down you know five hours at a festival reading back to back face to face will do more for you as a reader in my humble opinion than email readings for six months uh, because it forces your intuitive space into the forefront doesn't allow you to think too long on those cards which is what you actually want um, Two you you can find clients all over people will come up to your chair and so it's so nice I call festival readings kind of like the gateway drug of tarot readings because it doesn't cost a lot it's like ten dollars at like say an art or music festival they sit down you wow them with your amazing knowledge about their lives and then you provide a hook to get them to sit down with you full time in, a, in another time and space of your choosing three uh, at the time, I knew that the majority of readers right now were just doing online or wanted to do mostly online work. So I made the strategic decision to go old school, pound the pavement, go face to face, and meet people where they were at. Then I would also say there might be a fourth piece to this, which is I have long had a burning desire to... Um, destigmatize tarot. I mm -hmm. want people to see tarot in the same way they now see getting a massage or going to get an acupuncture treatment. I see tarot as a healing modality. And the more that I am in the public, you know, facing people who've never had readings or maybe even fearful of them, if I'm their first person, I may be able to shift that stereotype just a little bit. I love so, that. Yeah. <laughs> All that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally yeah. dig it. I love that. I really love the idea of, you know, what was the way that you put it? Like narrowing that intuitive space and kind of putting it up front and center. I think that when you're doing a lot of readings, shorter readings for, you know, a larger number of people, that's so right on. And uh, some of my favorite readers are readers who do a lot at public events because they are so sharp and so efficient with their cards and with their interpretations. So I, I completely love all of what you said, but especially that part. I do too, and I'll tell you why. I think that face-to-face, -face, um, when you are first beginning to learn tarot or really any of these arts, face-to-face -face is the way to do it. Because you're going to really get comfortable being around people and all that. And then, you know, if you've been doing it long enough face-to-face, -face, then it's much easier to be really comfortable with your intuition and not have to do face-to-face. -face. So I think I think fairs are the perfect way to get your chops sharp. Mm -hmm. So that's really good yeah. advice, Donna. 
Yeah, the other thing too is, you know, when I first, my first fair that I did when I, when I decided to go full time was a very small, very local music festival. It cost me $20 to get in. Um, and I was charging $5 readings. Can you believe it? Uh, for like, three or five cards, but I was really trying to get as many people to sit down and, and have an experience with me, um, as many as possible. So it was more about um, maybe spending five or six minutes per person. And so that the action of doing three and five card spreads over and over and over again allows you to start to build your own intuitive awareness with the cards. I think you guys could probably agree that each one of us readers, we have our own unique lexicon that we begin to build. Oh, for me, this card means this, and it's an off-standard meaning. And I feel like that really starts to come into play when you're doing many, many readings at once. I almost, um, I kind of visualize it like, you know, those old school, when you were a kid, you might have made those old school um, cartoons with notebook paper so there'd be one image but then you flip through it and it starts moving that is a tarot reading so as you do each image each static reading with the client over time those things start to move and it becomes a lexicon of meaning um, that I think is perfect especially for those cheapy cheapy fairs where you're doing a lot of readings for really cheap Totally. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, you, you talked really beautifully about why you love it um, and and how you got started. And you've gone a little bit into the benefits for to working at festivals and psychic fairs, but I'd love to hear more about that from you. Like, what do you think tarot readers really get as far as benefit goes when they decide to Take the readings live, take the readings on the road, take the readings in that face-to-face arena. What do you think they pick up? Um, well, it, there are all kinds of different venues that offer different things. So in the beginning, if you do these fairs, like that was one of my strategies was I wasn't going to go to the psychic fairs in the beginning because I knew that I wanted to kind of, I wanted to work up to that. So my strategy was to be at these fairs where people were not expecting a reader. Um, and I'd obviously be the only person there. So I wasn't com competing with other readers um, for passerbys. So that is good in of itself. Um, but later, as you start working the psychic you know, circuit and expos and stuff, it's really great just to walk around and look at other people's areas uh, what kind of color scaping are they using what kind of branding what kind of furniture how do you feel when you look at that space of that person so it taught me very organically this idea of like content management in a three-dimensional space and this idea of how I wanted people to feel um, and so from that perspective it was really helpful and I think that's helpful for beginning readers because as you're seeing other readers too you're getting a sense about how you're different 
what makes mm. you different and unique and because you can walk around and go oh that's not you know I'm not an angel card reader that's not my shtick oh that that chick over there with all that astrological stuff that's not my thing you know or I'm not you know so I feel like that's really helpful for readers also um you instantly get money in your hand if you're smart about it, which means look, running the math, looking at the numbers, and at the end of the day, without you, I remember the first festival I did, I literally spent $40 for my card table um, and a homemade sign and $20 to get in. And that day of $5 readings, at the end of the day, I had made something like $300. Mm. So I wow. instantly made back wow. what I made. <laughs> yeah. And I got a tidy little all cash little little nest egg right there that I then used to turn around and pay for higher level festivals and events. So there's that piece. But then you also have like corporate events, like large and small businesses hiring you for their own marketing efforts which is interesting. Um, I've done readings at Macy's. Um, that was just part of like a, a clothing line launch. I've read for Sunoco um, for their employee appreciation day. Um, so for those things, you know, are really great because they pay really well. Um, but then they force you to learn how to do things like sign contracts, get your tax situation sorted. So for every one of these things, especially when I was in the in the, in the beginning, um, they were asking me for things I didn't have. So then, of course, I had to go run and get them. Um, just this year, I did a couple of events with the corporate head, the headquarters of um, Urban Outfitters, which is based in Philadelphia. Um, they asked me to get something I had never had to get before, was I had to put their name on my certificate of liability insurance. So every time I'm engaging with a corporate or business identity, they are helping me and teaching me how to better run my business mm -hmm. too. So, uh, oh gosh, yeah, last, was it last spring? I did an event for some very top lawyers in Philly, and I had them, I sent them my contract knowing that they were going to look it over with a fine-tooth comb, and if they were there was anything wrong, they would point it out. So I was like, yeah, I'm getting kind of free legal advice on my contract. Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think every one of these are opportunities both to, to become a better reader, learn how to deal with people, and also become a better business owner. That's totally right on. Absolutely. So, you know, we're talking here about benefits, but and here comes my cat, of course, to sign to get Hi, hi, Kitty. <laughs> hey, Kitty. <laughs> We've talked about the benefits, but let's talk about the potential problems a reader may face because I'm sure you've encountered some drama or problems, and I'd love to hear about that because I'm a believer, forewarned is forearmed. If other people have an idea, the potential problems they may encounter, you might really be helping them. Tell us some of that, Jenna. Sure. Um, well, the first thing I want to say is a lot of readers are introverted. Um, and so I'm, I'm shy, I'm introverted, there's no way I could ever do anything like that. And the thing is, is I'm actually introverted too. Um, I just have a very nice, I have a very convincing extroverted mask. <laughs> Let's just say that. 
Um, and so the first thing I want to say is if people are feeling really nervous or really shy about attending these events, the thing I want to say first is even if it's 150 people at an event, you're still reading one person at a time. You're still having that one-to-one -one experience. So if you're good with one-on-one -on -one individually, you'll still be good at one-on-one -on -one on, in groups. That being said, um, the pitfalls. You can't be like, oh, I'm having a bad day. Um, I'm not feeling it. I just am not going to do this event. Um, you're you're going to have to show up. You are entertainment. You have to be upbeat. You have to be optimistic. So um, getting your head in the game and learning how to switch that on, even when you're not feeling it, some days is hard. Um, festival work is extraordinarily exhausting. Anyone, and I see this sometimes, people are like, I read for 10 hours, and I just feel way more energetic than when I started. And I'm like, you must do this once a year, because reading for others is exhausting work. Mm -hmm. Even if we're not talking about the intuitive space, I, I can just think about it on three levels. I'm, ta I'm thinking about nonstop talking for six hours. That alone is is exhausting. Um, two, you have to be mindful of the logistics of your space and the timing of your readings, how to deliver the readings. You have to get a feel for that other person. They mostly, um, I heard this somewhere and I don't, I'm sorry if I'm, I don't know who said this, and it was really brilliant, which is, as an intuitive reader, you've got about 30 seconds to convince them that you're, they're, you're worth listening to. That's a lot of pressure. And then mm -hmm. you have to do that over and over and over and over again. So no wonder you're tired. All cylinders have to be constantly fighting, firing to, for you to do the work. You can't phone this in. It's not like an office job. Um, so that's some of the internal things that you need to be aware of, but the external things are often just dealing with the public, which you would do with any job, whether you're working the counter at a clothing store or you're a waitress. You know, the public is the public. So um, a particular pitfall in this kind of work is learning how to deal, read and deal with drunk people. Learning how to deal with people who, you know, you could be at a, I mean, I've had this happen. I'm at like this children's party or something, and someone comes up and is like, am I going to die? I have cancer. And I'm like, whoa, this mm -hmm. is not the place to be asking that question, man. <laughs> you know, we're at a party. <laughs> um, here's my card. Let's discuss uh, later. Mm -hmm. um, or people that are skeptical. Now, see, the thing is, is I like skeptics when they're open-minded and they're willing to allow me to take them on a journey, but it's the closed-minded skeptics that just want to test me or shut me down or prove to themselves I'm a sham. Those are difficult to work with. So, mm -hmm. and all of these are really about finding boundaries. Um, sometimes house parties, if the hosts are not good, um, I had a very drunk host after seven hours of nonstop work try to um, not pay me the full amount at like one in the morning. That wow. was fun. Um, and what was so her was like, reason right. why? Um, she said there was a discrepancy between what I was telling her verbally and the contract. Okay. But she was just 
really drunk and I think was having second thoughts about what I was charging <laughs> until uh, her maid of honor came in and calmed her down and paid me what I was worth. So, uh, you know, once people start drinking, lots of things can happen. Um, mm -hmm. And so all of these, I've had a lot of run-ins and all of them have just made me better. So now what I do, you know, before an event is I print the contract out, I bring it, I show the host, I circle the amount and say, you agreed to this, I'm just making sure that we're all aware here. Mm -hmm. So I get a final verbal agreement. I don't take anything for granted in terms of what people are understanding or not understanding. I also make it very clear with the host that if someone is outrageously inebriated, I will not read for them. Um, I literally had somebody pass out on my table as I was reading for her. Um, these are the beginning years. You know, I've learned since then. So, but the thing is, is I don't want these stories to scare people away because, again, right. if you work in any kind of public job where you're dealing with people, it's just learning how to deal with people. Um, and then I have mm -hmm. other that they ask me back every single year, and it's a joy. It's an absolute joy. I get to see the coolest things in the parties that I go to. I have access to mansions, rooftop buildings, downtown Philly, places I normally would never be able to get into, you know. I don't have those right. kinds of, you know. So, you know, it, it, it's really about um, – it's really about what 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 you want as a reader and what you think will work for you. Right. Listen, you know, the thing is about expressing these pitfalls, I think they're actually important not to scare people away, but to really make sure that, you know, people don't have a glamorized idea on things because I think too often there are coaches that will – or or business people that will tell people, you know, the fallacy of what I always call the four hour work week and it's easy money and da 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 da. And I think it's important for people to realize this is real work. And these parties and these festivals and all of that, they really are a challenge. Even though there's many benefits, I love letting people know that when you go in though, there are things that you need to be aware of so you can be prepared because it's not always going to be glamorous. It's not always going to be fun, but sometimes it really is too. So know both sides. I think that's important. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree with that. I mean, what I being a, a small business owner and full-time tarot reader, is one, it's the most exhausting and difficult thing I've ever done. But it's also been the most rewarding because I'm living my passion. Mm -hmm. I get to help people. Like, I love what I do, but it is not easy. It is work. Um, yeah, so anyone that's glamorizing this, like, four-hour work week, six-figure income within four months is peddling a lie. Uh, because that's not what this is about. You really need to feel called to this work, I think, mm -hmm. in order to make it long-term. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, too, because, and I think we'll get into this in a, in a little bit, um, but, you know, having a good sense of what to charge for these events. I know that, you know, this is something where a lot of people will underprice themselves because of exactly what you said. Like, you're going into a situation and they don't know how exhausted they're going to be at the end of that 10 hours. And so it's important to have a good sense of it. And that actually 
brought up a question for me, which is, and it's not a question that we have on here, um, which is, do you have a recommendation for people who do want to do festivals and parties, do you have a recommendation for how frequently they should book themselves? And I know that it's going to depend on experience and, you know, the size of the festival or the party and the number of people you read for. But, like, at, for beginners, like, do you have any rules of thumb you like? I think it really depends on their overall working load. So if they're working full-time in another job, that, of course, is going to affect this. What I don't recommend is if you have, like, a really stressful job and then you go reading at a festival for two days and then and then assume that you're going to be bright and bushy-tailed Monday morning at 9 a.m. It ain't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because you also have – you have to pack up your stuff often. You have to travel there. You have to set up. So there's a lot of things that also go into, you know, around the space, not just the space itself. Uh, but as a guideline, as a full-time reader for myself, my <clears throat> my guideline every week is about between 20, uh, around 20 to 22 reading hours a week in aggregate. So that includes my one-to-one work, that includes my festival work, that includes my party work. Um, except usually October, that I will kick that up to 25 to 28, just because the demand is so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mm-hmm. feel like it, you, that you really have to listen to your body, um, and I, I, that's that's as much advice for myself because sometimes I'm like, well, maybe I can fit this person in, maybe I can. Um, but but saying no is important too. Um, I just had someone want to book me for a wedding, October 13th, which is a Friday of this year, um, mm-hmm. in a mansion, and it sounds amazing. Uh, but they only want me for my minimum three hours, and it's an hour each way. And I'm like, that's so you, you know, that's five hours of my of my life that, you know, I have to also be, you know, I you have to pay for my travel time. It's not worth it for me to to drive an hour each way, just to just to work for three hours. So that's something to keep in mind too, is that we do not undercharge ourselves and then exhaust ourselves trying to accommodate others. Um, that's important. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So along the lines of, of what we've been discussing, how do people who are brand new to this and want to get in, how do they find festivals and events? Like what, what do you do mm-hmm. to start to discover what these awesome venues are where one can go Sling cards. Well, I would say the first thing, if you're new, 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 new to this, um, is reach out to your friends and their their friends. So try to get to second and third degree in terms of contacts. And so this is how I first first started out. Um, I would say, okay, almost like I was like like a Tupperware party. You remember those? So um, mm-hmm. if you host, if you host me. And then every guest also pays for themselves. So uh, maybe they'll get a 15-minute reading for $20. You get a 30-minute reading maybe before they come or later for free. And then you offer that same thing to every single other person who's there. And so first, I think, 
we should definitely be leveraging who we know. Also, if we have any friends that are business owners, definitely reach out to them. Be like, yo, it won't cost you anything. I will come and read for maybe one small event. Like if you're doing like a, a special, you know, Labor Day event, I will come and read. I can be a draw for you. Um, and so that would probably be the absolute kind of beginning. And then what happens is if you're reading for friends and family, people that are already well disposed towards you, you're getting an easy start. You're not getting mm -hmm. the hard skeptics. You're getting people that care about you. But they'll also give you good feedback. So I would say stay, start there, then move into festival work. Um, gosh, there's so I live in Pennsylvania. There's a website called pavendors.com. And I think there's something similar for every single state. And it's basically a listing by county, by month of every single kind of festival, art, music fest happening in the state. And it will tell you, uh, you know, how much it costs to get in, when is mm -hmm. it. And just right there, you could start hitting hitting up the event court, you know, the party coordinators. Um, and I would say those are probably like the best beginnings that I would recommend for somebody. But with that caveat, I would say once you're reading really well, don't like maybe after six months, don't read for don't read for what is it visibility anymore. Um, like I, I'm actually looking at an email right now. I had somebody uh, from a boutique. She wanted me to come out for a girls' night out. She was like, well, I can't pay you, but there'll be lots of visibility, or or you can charge the guests who come in. And I said, absolutely not, because you get to have the benefit of me and the draw of me. You get to benefit. This is absolutely no risk to you, but I have to drive out there and I have to set up, and who knows who shows up, and who knows who may or may not pay me. Like, do we not know the rules of business, Miss Boutique Lady? No, <laughs> we're not doing that. So um, really no longer reading for visibility or quote unquote exposure. If you need to do that in the very, very beginning, do it with people who know you and love you or do it in a way where there is some kind of exchange. Okay, I'm going to give you a free reading, but you are bringing these people who have committed to pay. Um, but any quote-unquote for exposure and whoever shows up shows up, that that's just exploitative in my opinion. Sorry if I went on a tangent there. You can tell I get very passionate. No, I love that's, 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 we have, that's, We're nodding that's our really heads. Helpful. That's huge. Yeah. Yes, I'm nodding yeah, my head I'm literally, totally. I, I'm literally looking at this email. I would be interested in you offering many readings at a charge and you can charge them, and then you can possibly book for longer sessions at another time at your place. Why, gee, thank you. Thanks so very much for how <laughs> gracious and giving. So now I'm like, no, no, if you want me to come, I'm one of the top readers in Philly, you will pay for me. You will pay for me, and you put the risk on yourself because you are hiring entertainment. Exactly. Would you tell a DJ? Would you tell a DJ, just come and play music and maybe they'll tip your jar? Or what universe do we live in? Uh-uh, i got to keep the bills. i got to get the bills paid. So half the battle is knowing when to at first kind of work for exposure to either get your chops down 
or to to practice kind of your 10 minute run with cards well then after that you stop because then after that it's exploitative so that's my say on that i'm glad you said that because i think it's really important for uh readers to value their time because ultimately that's what people are paying you for your time and your skill and you should be paid well for that time is is valuable you know i always like to say we're not here on the planet that long and our time is incredibly, incredibly valuable. So um, since we're on the money subject, that segues mm-hmm. very nicely into our next question. Uh, we want to talk about this money aspect. So what I'd like to ask you is this. It's a kind of a three-part question. How much money can you make on a typical day at, a, at an event? And what are the costs on the part of you as the reader? What can we expect to pay for on your end? But also, how can you ensure that you make as much money as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just writing these down really quickly so I make sure that I hit them all. Um, so I, think I, have, that I have another one to add. Can I can I add one because you touched on it a couple of times? I know. I'm sorry. But y'all are Gemini's. Y'all get it. Um, mm-hmm. my, so the one I want to add, Jenna, is, is, you know, do you have a preference? It sounds like you do between – getting paid by the the event organizer versus being paid on a per customer basis and why and do you ever do both like how how does that relationship work so let me just throw that in juicy okay. question brie brie yes. you're kicking ass tonight <laughs> um, all of these kind of i want to start off just on what you were finishing up with Teresa, which is time and yeah. so we have to, as a reader, your resources, not your readings, your resources, your time. Mm-hmm. Because um, say you go to a festival, how I'm different than someone who sells jewelry is that jewelry person can sit there all day and not one person can come. And then in the last half hour, get a rush of people that are like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I totally need this necklace, blah, blah, blah. And they could make all their money in 30 minutes. For me, I can't. I've got 10-minute, 30-minute, whatever-minute readings. I have to figure out a way to have, like, you know, so let's say you have, let me do a little math. Let's say you have, like, a a um, a five-hour event. So 60 times five, we have 300 hours or 300 minutes, excuse me. So let's just say that we're doing 15-minute readings, 300 divided by 15. That's 20 readings. And you probably won't do 20 readings. You'll have to go to the bathroom. No one is coming in the beginning. Maybe you want to eat something. So let's knock that down to 15 readings. So if we have 15 readings, let's say that we're charging $20 each, we can make $300 in that event. Mm -hmm. And that is if we are consistent. So unlike, you know, like I said, unlike the jewelry person, you know, my time ha- is, it's like an hourglass. Like I have to utilize every minute as much as possible. And this is why I prefer host versus per customer because a host is paying for my entire time. So let's say that host wants me for five hours. They're paying for five hours. Now, whether I'm sitting there and no one is coming up or I'm sitting there and everyone is chatting over wine and and the person who's next hasn't come over yet, 
I'm not bothered about it. But what happens is if you're being paid per customer, like say at a, like at a house event, um, then there's no skin on, on there, you know, there's no, they're not paying for you sitting there in the 10 minutes that can bleed between when Jill left that your seat and Jane hasn't sat down yet because Jane is still eating her cannoli. You're paying for that. And let me tell you, in events like that, those five and 10 minutes will totally add up. And you could find yourself 45 minutes, an hour there longer than, and you're not getting paid for any of it. Mm -hmm. And at first it might seem like, wow, Jenna, you're really nickeling and dining. I'm not about that. I'm about serving whoever comes to my table because that is my spiritual mission. Yes, I understand that. But when we have a finite resource like our time, and we also are backed up against how many hours we can read before we become utterly exhausted, burnt out, or unable to give a message, this is critical. And the more that we are careful with our time, the more that we can actually serve people overall. So that's why I prefer host over customer. Um, in general. Um, so to get back to the money part, how much, how much money can you make overall? It really, really depends on the venue. Like I said, some of these like cheapy, cheapy festivals, I can make a lot of money. I made like $350 off of a Philadelphia Pagan Pride event, you know, and that was like $5 readings. Mm. So, so, so pricing is kind of an art and a science because you have to think about the table fee. And if it, so if a table fee is like, say a table fee is like $450 for one day, I'm not doing that festival because I know I will not even break even. Um, you know, and some festivals are higher. Um, like there is a psychic event that I do that's 250 over two days. And I consistently earn $1,200 mm -hmm. from that weekend. Um, but that's also not take, like, so the table fee is 250 I have to probably stay at a hotel overnight. You know, that's 100 bucks. You have, you know, food um, if you don't bring it. So that 1200 is really 800 maybe over two days. But it's still really good money. It can be, yes. Yeah. But the thing is, is if you price too high, no one will come to your table and you'll make less. Price too low and you're not going to recoup and make it worth your time. So every festival and event is different. Um, like with corporate events, if it's a corporate event that's near me and it's in an off-peak time, like say they want me to come in the afternoon, I may end up charging less. But if someone wants me Saturday night, Friday night, they want me in the city where I have to pay for parking and fight like happy, like, you know, um, you know, traffic to get there, then they're going to pay more for that. So it is a really delicate balance. You can't just be like, this is my rate, you know, per hour, no matter what. It really, there's a lot of factors that can go involved, that can get involved in that. But yeah, I mean, if I know readers in my area who don't see people like I do one-to-one, -one, they just do corporate events. That's their job. And mm -hmm. they do make a decent middle class income with it. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Super helpful. Oh, good. Super helpful. 
So, switching gears slightly from the reader's perspective, what are some of the things that you need to bring and remember? So not just your tarot deck, which hopefully you've got, um, but, you know, other <laughs> suggestions such as your marketing materials or self-care products or, you know, what what's in your go bag? Basically, that's oh. what we want to know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a go bag pretty much already assembled for small like small corporate events or house parties and in that bag I have you know pen notepad um I have postcard sized marketing business card sized marketing um a Lenormand deck I started drifting away from tarot so much and just using a playing card deck in lieu of a tarot with maybe a major arcana like addition and the reason mm-hmm. why I did that is that sometimes people, they overweight the negative cards. So say you get someone that gets ten of cups or nine of cups, right? And then they get death and those two are together. They'll just completely ignore the ten of cups and go, oh, my God, death, ah, you know, and freak out. Right, um, right. But in terms of a spread, they could be equally, rate, you know, equally weighted or ten of cups could actually be the heavier weighted out of the two. So for me, when I use playing cards, the imagery is not always as obvious. So then I'm getting the message because I feel like tarot will tell that person what it wants to tell them. It doesn't care that they're at a party. <laughs> That's what I've noticed. Tarot's got really bad timing sometimes. I'm like, come on. Like, really? Right now we need to have this discussion tarot with them. Um, so <laughs> But the playing cards, it's not as immediately obvious, and then I can maybe temper a message mm. and temper its delivery to the client. So that will go into my go bag. Um, I have some candles. I, I usually only take tea candles because they burn out fairly quickly. And then also, if they're still burning, you can blow them out like 10 minutes before you leave, and you don't have wet wax mm-hmm. that you're trying to like move around and not get on everything. Um, playing cards are also good as well, um, or like a burner tarot deck because more than once I've had, I've had beer or drinks completely upended on my completely fanned out deck. Um, so don't bring your like (laughs) out of print, whatever, whatever to impress them. (laughs) Keep that home guys. Um, and so water, obviously, um, though I tend to not drink as much water because especially if I'm at an event that I need as many people to sit as possible, um, I don't want to be going to the bathroom every, I swear to God, my, my bladder is maybe the size of a walnut. So I'll <laughs> drink a lot before and drink a lot after, um, but I tend to bring cough drops with me. Um, because I'm talking so much and right. you may be talking in a loud, a loud place. They will say, oh, we'll put you in the quietest corner. Well, the quietest corner is still pretty loud if there's a band or DJ in the building or the room. So you're talking at level eight volume for hours. Bring some Ricola. They will save your life. Trust me on this one, guys. Um, what else? Mm, oh, yes. Printed out directions because do not, do not, do not, especially in a Mercury retrograde, do not just rely on your phone to ways you there. 
um, your phone can get messed up or can get wrong. So write out the directions, write out the host's number. Uh, what else am I missing? I think that's kind of basically it. Um, and then, you know, if you're doing festivals and you've got your table, your chairs, your decorations and all that, and that goes into it too. Is there anything else, Teresa, that you can think of? Am I missing anything? Oh, here? no, you got it nailed. I mean, you are like one prepared Girl Scout here. So, yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, the Ricola is especially important. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh -huh. I would like to say, even though I don't do festivals and I'm reading in my office, I'm a high-volume reader, at the end of the day, I want to shut up. You know, my throat is cash, and I keep <laughs> Ricola handy because it is one of my go-to things. So I love that. So um, here's another question. Now, let's say you're in a festival, and let's say there's 40 other readers. I don't know how big some of these festivals are. I've been to, I've attended ones that are small and some that are bigger. Um, but how do you stand out in a sea of other tarot readers and mystical folk? Um, well, how do you? I think it's really about um, having a nice space a thoughtful space, an inviting space. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes, oh gosh, how do I say this? I feel like some readers kind of about them or their ego or how great of a reader they are, and you get that feeling in the event. Um, so we always want to make it about our clients. <clears throat> so I invest in a comfy chair for my clients. They're usually walking around, their feet are tired. I want them to feel welcome. I want them to feel cared about. I want them to be held in space that's warm and inviting. That is that is my branding and it's branding on my website and <clears throat> in my office. Like everything is about I just want you to relax. Because this is your time and I want it to be your time. So um, having, <clears throat> excuse me, a space that makes uh, sense, like in terms of branding elements, um, think about that your space is like a scene, and people are walking down, you know, the rows, and they're looking at different scenes. And so oftentimes we'll attract people that are like us in many ways. So just think to, to yourself, what would make me stop at this table? versus other tables, and then implement that. Another thing I see readers doing is when they're not reading, they're on their phone mm -hmm. or ignoring people. No, 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 don't do that. Because a lot of times people are looking to make a connection as they initially walk around to see who to come to later. So I'm always about on my table. I have things that are interactive. I have my birthday book. Everyone loves the birthday book. I have um, my oracles. I have things that invite people to come closer and get something for free to look at or interesting. And then I engage them in conversation. It's not about like, oh, come sit in my chair, but about like, who are you? What are you about? What's your story? And I'm genuinely interested. I look at their face. I smile at them. I make a connection. And that's what makes me different. Because it doesn't matter that there are 39 other readers. To that person, I was the one reader who made a connection with them and made them feel important. And so when people are walking around at a festival or when they're looking online, you know, they're, they're always looking to have two questions answered. Number one, can you help me? And number two, how do you make me feel? 
when I interact with you. And so for me, everything is about those two things. Yes, I'm competent. And two, I want you to feel seen and I want you to feel cared about because I really do care. This is, this is what I'm here to do. Um, and so I think, like, don't think about those other 39. Think about you and the person who is looking for someone. Make the connection. That is what's important. Don't, don't look down at the ground because you're shy. Like, but then also don't be smarmy either and be like, hey, you know, like really look at them. They will feel it and they will come. I promise. <laughs> you will. Awesome. I love that. Love it. So, you know, along the same lines, in many of these cases, you will book an event and, you know, it doesn't happen immediately. Like some of the bigger events you might even book, you know, routinely every year, many months before you actually show up. So in those cases, what kind of marketing do you like to see people doing before the event? Well, if you're just starting out, there's probably you don't have a client base to market to. So that's part of what you're paying for. So when you're paying for a table fee, that part of that money is going for that event coordinator to market the event. If they're saying and they're pushing and relying heavily on their exhibitors or readers to be marketing the event for them, that's not a good sign. They should be using the money that you've given them to do a few things. Rent the large space, pay for radio ads or what have you, um, and also paying themselves for coordinating the space. If they're not doing the marketing, then that's not good. Um, they should be doing the bulk of that. But that being said, once you start getting a following, you know, I just put it on my social media. I have a... Um, I think it's down right now because I'm actually working on it as we speak. I have an events page. This is what I'm doing and this is where I'm going. I let people know about a month in advance. And I also, with my clients, I let them reserve time with me at those spaces. So some clients, I never, ever see them in my office. I only see them when I go to these events. And they come faithfully year after year. Specifically with the psychic events, um, one thing to keep in mind is a lot of those clients are faithful to the event. They are not faithful to you. So if you don't go, you'll lose those clients. But if you go, you'll start to build clients who will come every year just to see you. I know readers that are booked from Saturday a.m. to Sunday p.m. They've been doing like the same place for 10 years, and they just, they just fill up in advance. So that's how it usually works. But a lot of times, keep in mind that that the clients you meet at the expo may not necessarily translate into your clients that will see you whenever, but your clients that you already have, they'll often come and meet you at those events. Because they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's closer to where I live. I'll totally come out. So that's just something to keep in mind. That's really great <laughs> advice. Mm-hmm. So we're coming down near the, the end of our time, so we kind of had, um, I wanted to go back to the whole boundaries thing, and I think this will be our last question tonight. Um, I think we need to talk about 
advice around setting boundaries with event organizers, um, hosts for parties, uh, and the clients that you're going to meet at these. You know, so what do we need to know about dealing with event organizers, clients, and fellow readers, peers? Let's say you're dealing with some peers who are being funky at these events. How do you deal with all this stuff? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, I know. Well, with hosts, I'll just go down the list. With hosts, you have the contract, which outlines basic things, like egregious boundaries, like if someone is completely inebriated. On my contract, I say, I have the right to refuse reading anybody anytime, even at your event. Um, and, And I'll adhere to it. Like, my goal is to make the host and I that we're on a team, you know, and I want them to feel like that they're that they're helping me help them. Um, but sometimes, you know, it can't be helped. Sometimes negative things can and do happen, and you just have to hold the line and make sure that your paperwork backs you up. Um, another thing I do is I have an additional document that I send the host or hostess uh, before uh, I come, which is a little bit more about me, about what I need, um, about what would make a good reading, how to maybe talk to their guests about getting a reading with me, and that tends to help as well. Um, with clients, if they're being rude or drunk, I will just refuse a reading and say, I can't read for you right now, I'm sorry. Um, and they don't like it, but usually at these events, unless it's a house event. At a house event, it feels it seems to me that people have more um, – you know, it's a private space, so they have more leeway to act crazy with me. <laughs> um, but if you're in a public space, you kind of have like, you know, a public space, people are less likely to make a scene. So usually I'm able to rely on people's, their own desire to not create drama. But in house parties, those are more um, challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it's just reiterating and knowing what my what my boundaries are and sticking to them. Sometimes hosts, if they're paying for time and some of their guests have not been read yet, they'll try to hurry me up or push more people on me. And I'll say no. So what I tend to do is about 10 minutes before my contracted time is up, I will um, I will say, hey, you know, you're the last person, let the host know. And then if she wants to pay for more time, we can have that discussion. Or I could say, I absolutely can't stay. Right. Another thing that happens, one other thing that I've recently noticed is a lot of times the host or hostess will never have time to sit down and have a reading with me. But what they'll do is they'll sidle over as I'm packing up and my time is over and be like, oh, I wish I'd had a reading. And then, of course, you feel kind of obligated because they're they're the host. That's 20 minutes you're not being paid for. So you either can decide that that's what you're going to do just to be a nice person or you can go ahead of time and say, hey, hosts usually don't have time to get a reading. How would you sit down and you be the first one? Break the ice for me and kind of get that out of the way. The thing to remember is that you are in control. You are in control of how you do readings. You are in control of how you want to run your business. 
at no time should you be made to feel that you need to stay in what feels like an unsafe situation or just a situation where you feel you're being exploited. Mm-hmm. I've had some kind of sexual harassment stuff happen a few times, uh, comments on my clothes or my body by inebriated males. I don't put up with any of that. So another thing you can do, too, is bring someone with you. They can be like your, um, you know, your bodyguard slash line minder slash organizational helper, allowing you to free up your time to work the cards. So there's a lot of ways to do it. But most importantly, sometimes you do have to stand up for yourself, and sometimes that's not fun, but you'll feel better if you do. Because I can remember all the times where I didn't, and they, they still hurt me when I think about how I was maybe treated and how I didn't advocate for myself. And by the way, we do actually have a question that came in. And oh, I yeah. think it's a really important quick question. Uh it comes from Mary Ellen. She's calling in from West Palm Beach and her question is getting paid for a host paid event, do you get the money up front or at the end? She says I've had to wait around more than once for a distracted host to pay me at the end of the night. Hi, Mary Ellen. <laughs> I know her. Hey. Um <laughs> So I usually do wait for payment at the end, but in order to book with me, I do require a deposit um, before I even put them on the calendar. So they already have money on the barrel head. For me, it's only $50, um, but if, you know, I think it would be okay to increase that to like 25% of the total price. Um, There have been times that I've had to wait around for a busy host, but it's not usually been an issue for me. Um, When I take that deposit, I run it not through PayPal, but through my um, online bank. So I have their credit card on file. So Mm. if I'm feeling like I'm getting the runaround or they're like, oh, I'm like, you know what? I'll just charge your credit card when I get home Mm -hmm. and then call it a day. Oh, I have one more tip. So when you always, always ask if you can put a tip jar out. So if you're working those corporate events, put your tip jar out. I've sometimes made a hundred extra dollars just on like the couple bucks here or there people threw in my, in my little jar. So definitely make sure that you ask to do that because that could actually really boost what you're making in a night. I love it. These are all great tips. We're now coming to the top of the hour, you know, so um, that's going to wrap up this episode of Talking Shop, and it's been a great one. So, Teresa, you know, this was awesome. This was so good, and as we always like to do, we kind of like to talk about what our takeaways from the episodes are. So what was your biggest takeaway or aha moment from today's discussion? You know, there were really so many. I mean, Jenna... You gave us so much incredible advice here. Um, I I could rack my brain and probably find a million different little nuggets that you've given. I I really love your tips about boundaries. I think that they are wise, and that is something that people need to hear. I love also what Jenna shared about the pitfalls, and not because I'm trying to focus on the negative stuff, but, you know, when I did events back in the day, I didn't have this guidance And if I would have had this wise advice from Jenna, I know that I probably would have had 
way better experiences. So really talking about those pain points, I really appreciate that. What about you, Bree? What is your biggest takeaway or what's the favorite thing that Jenna shared with you tonight? Well, I feel the same way. I loved loved having you on the show, Jenna, and you were so generous with your information and with your recommendations and tips. And I just I feel like that we're so grateful for that because it really is helpful. They're super practical, which I love. Um, but I felt like the thing that really stood out for me was the reminder that as a tarot reader, um, and really in a lot of the different sacred art services, you're charging for time. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is such a really important mindset to adopt when you're looking at doing this. And it's actually one that can that applies no matter whether you're doing events or not. Um, the way that you that you think about your time really does make a difference, and it makes a difference in your bottom line. So I really love that you brought that to everybody's attention. Well, thanks, stuff. guys. Um, I mean, <laughs> I was I was honestly, can I talk about this for an hour? And I guess I can. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what, girl, we could be going another hour or two. We could go on and on. There's a lot to cover here. We really crammed a lot of stuff in tonight. We and, did. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much we, for having me on. This has been this has been wonderful and I really, you know, my goal is I want us as a field and a profession to really be seen as a helping modality that we are and we can only do that if we show up in the spaces where we aren't if we're willing to engage with those who don't know or may be skeptical because every time we do that we just are able to change the stigma that much more. And for me, that's the goal. Yeah, love it. Yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So as you all know, towards the end of each episode, we like to switch gear and share a few fun tidbits, like books that we've been reading lately or blogs that we're obsessed with, favorite songs or TV shows, food, Lots of food. <laughs> that. So just some fun stuff that we think you, our lovely listeners, might enjoy discovering. Sometimes we share business-related recommendations and sometimes not because, you know, you can't just talk about business 24-7. gets a little bit old. So I'll start with Teresa. I want to hear from everybody. Teresa, what's something that you've discovered recently or something that you are obsessed with? Okay, here's what I'm obsessed with. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> the Game of Thrones season began, and it is kicked off so brilliantly. And, you know, it's, they only have two more seasons. So right now, my big obsession, all you're going to hear out of me, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones, Jamie Lannister, Jamie Lannister, Jamie Lannister. That's about it right now. That's all I have the bandwidth for. Isn't that sad? <laughs> What about you, Bree? And Jenna, we want to hear from you too. Bree, what are what are you obsessed with? What what's what's um what are you loving? <laughs> what am I loving? There's so many things to love, but you know, I've been in Santa Fe for the last few weeks 
And what I've really been loving is being outside. I mean, that's, I know that that sounds really kind of mundane and boring, but when you're coming from San Antonio where it's 104 degrees and all of a sudden you're somewhere where you can be outside and not melt, it's pretty awesome. So we've been hiking and we've just been like in the mountains and it's just been really gorgeous. And so that's what I'm obsessed with. I'm obsessed with outside time and sunshine, and having dinner outside. I love dining al fresco. So that's what I've been into. I've been loving it. What about you, Jenna? Yeah. Um. Well, I was really into and loving um, The Handmaid's Tale that's on Hulu right now. Um, they yeah. broke for the season, but, like, oh, my God, I cannot deal with this future, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. But it's really well done. I think it's up for a few awards. If you are into, like, anti-feminist dystopian futures to go to sleep by, I highly recommend <laughs> Even though we're living it now for real. <laughs> oh, girl, there are so many other levels of hell. Yeah. Um, what else am I, I? You know, I'm a, you know, my hobbies, I, I love board gaming. So that's kind of what I've been doing a lot of this summer. And I love birding. So I am listening and hearing the birds tweeting outside. And I'm excited to hear their babies and watching them flutter and beg their parents those are, those are things that kind of it i'm like super i'm super down to earth i don't have a big thing to discuss besides kitties so yeah nice i love it i love it all right so last but not least a few announcements so Teresa, is there anything you want our listeners to know about that's happening in your business world, any upcoming classes or new projects, things like that? Absolutely. I am doing a class called Tarot for Troubled Times with Shaheen Miro. And if you go to my website, thetarolady.com, and you click on Shop, you'll find a link for it. It's going to be a two-day workshop where we are working with the major arcana, archetypes, to really show up, to figure out how to show up in the world when things are not going well in the world and how to use our, you know, the best parts of ourselves so we can be great allies, so we can um, cope, um, you know, things like that. So it's going to be a really heartfelt class, and we're so excited about it. We've been working really hard behind the scenes. So, again, it's terrible for troubled times. Um, the classes are actually going to be on August 13th and the 20th, so they're on Sunday afternoons. So you've got a little time to still get a seat. I would love to see people show up for it. It's going to be fabulous. And Shaheen is so wonderful. So what about you ladies, Bree and Jenna? What announcements do you guys have? Jenna, let's start with you. Oh, okay. Uh, well, um, I have taught a course called Tarot and Feng Shui that is with Ethany's Tarot Summer School. Um, it is wrapping up here in August, but you can still get season passes. Um, I also have Tarot Summer School's last year's um, Have Tarot Will Party. It is basically like a five-hour course, which includes copies of contracts that I write, contracts from events, tax information, everything else. If any of you are interested in going deeper with what we've talked about today, definitely reach out to me. 
queenofwandstarot.net and I can have you connected to that resource. But besides that, Teresa, I'm just doing lots and lots of writing right now. <laughs> oh, and congratulations on your book proposal, by the way. Wonderful news. Well, let's see if it gets accepted. You know, first we get it out the door, and now we see what comes after that. Then we go to work. Okay. So hopefully well. that will work out. <laughs> and what about you, Bree? You know, what is the major thing that is going on is that on August 7th, Spinning Gold launches into its third year. So this is my program on fairy tales and the sacred arts and how we use both of them to weave the world back together. And we have an amazing group of alumni that are continuing on with the course, and I'm very excited to see who will show up for year three. So that's the big news over here. That's what I've been working on. That's awesome. So a reminder for everybody uh, who is listening, if you want to connect with Jenna, and you should connect with Jenna, uh, you want to get to her website at net. And she's got a lot of great stuff on there, excellent excellent blog posts. I also really want to highly recommend you get a copy of her book, Have Tarot Will Travel. You can get that both hard copy and I think as a paperback and as a Kindle book on Amazon. And it is really the Bible for people who are looking to take their tarot show on the road and do parties and festivals and events. So get a copy of that book. You are not going to regret it. It's fabulous. And before we sign off, a happy reminder. If you love Talking Shop, don't forget that you can listen to all of the previous shows for free. You can do that by going to iTunes, and you want to type in Talking Shop with Teresa and Bree. And you can listen to all the shows there, or you can also hop on over to my website, thetarolady.com. Go to the tab called Free Resources, and you want to jump down to Podcasts, and you will find Talking Shop there. Okay, so that's a wrap for this episode, and I also want to add this. We are no longer going to record our shows live as of this show. We're going to pre-record them, and we will announce on social media when the show is being aired. And next month, we've got a great episode. Bree, you want to tell people what our next episode is? Yes, I am super pumped about this. So we have a really wonderful episode with one of our dear friends, Andrew McGregor of The Hermit's Lamp. And The Hermit's Lamp is actually a spiritual supply store in Canada and Toronto, right? Teresa, is that right? Toronto? And we are going to talk about how to teach successful online classes. This is something that Andrew does beautifully. And Teresa and I can both attest to that because we have both been teachers in various online classes he has offered. And he does a bang-up job. He just does an amazing job with it. And this is another area that so many people are really interested in learning about and kind of don't know where to begin. So we're going to talk to Andrew about that. He's going to give us all of the information, and it will be excellent. I am super excited about it. And, Bree, where can people find the podcast on your site real quick? Real quick. But yes, so guys, basically same deal. Go to briannasofty.com, click on the tab that says books and resources, and then click on free resources, and you will find the Talking Shop archives there. You will also find the next Talking Shop show that we are going to feature, in this case, it will be Andrew's, um, there as well. So that's where you go to get all of that. 
goodness. All right, guys, so we're going to sign off. And as a reminder, you can find Jenna at queenofwandstarot.net. And you can find me, Teresa, at thetarolady.com. And, Bree, where can they find you? And you all can find me, Bree, at briannasassi.com. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. We love having you here. Keep taking action to build the mystical business of your dreams. Stay on your grind and make it a great month. We know that you will. Have a good one. Good night. Thank you. Bye. Bye.